Have we started yet? <laughs> sure, if you don't make me that. <laughs> Have you heard Phil introduce us? No. Then we haven't started. <laughs> I, was just, I was just checking. <laughs> <laughs> off for a if I have to explain to you how this works after your ninth time doing this. Wait, can Wait. I start now? Yes, please. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 28th of August 2013. And joining me for this edition of the AV Forums podcast is assistant editor Steve Withers. People were still booing him when we were on stage. Say that again. That was delivery. That was method. Yeah, I was acting that. Okay. Uh, you want to you do it again? I'll do it again. One for luck. Go on then. People were... St- no, shut up, Phil. <laughs> People were still booing him when we were on stage. Movies editor Simon Crust. I believe virtually everything I read, and I think that is what makes me more of a selective human than someone who doesn't believe anything. He wasn't reading that. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. We've got armadillos in our trousers. It's really quite frightening. Games editor Mark Botwright. You can't really dust for vomit. <clears throat> and audio reviewer Ed Selly. He died in a bizarre gardening accident. Uh, right, well, welcome along. Another AV Forums podcast. Thank you very much for downloading and listening. And uh, let's crack on straight away with some hardware news tonight. And um, uh, let's listen for at least five minutes to Steve uh, being big-headed and telling us all how uh, he spent the last week uh, with 55 inches of 4K TV. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> You've heard you used to, you get used to it after a while. <laughs> it's already... the old hat now, really. It's like the fourth one I've done. So you know. Oh, okay. well, there That's we go. Old news. Bring on, bring on the <laughs> bring on the OLED and, and the and the you know the holographic tellies and that sort of stuff. Now. Yeah, Obviously poor poor Mark hasn't had a 4K TV yet. You've hogged them all from him. You would have had this one if you hadn't gone on holiday. Yeah. True. Uh, so anyway, uh, right? Yes. See, um, all, in all yeah, seriousness, but, is it better than the Sony? That's what I want to know. I, I probably, I'd have to say, it's close, but I probably would give it to the Sony just slightly. I think you had. A, I know it's difficult to explain. Um, just found the uh, the image on the Sony just that little bit better, a little bit more more plasma like in a way, bizarrely. Um, in terms of the actual specs, I mean they're almost identical. Obviously, the di- major difference is that the Sony used um, passive 3D and this uses active 3D. The other big difference, and this is something that I can't believe nobody else seems to have thought of, and it's a really simple but brilliant idea on the part of Samsung, is that it comes with what they call the One Connect box. So there's no connections on the actual panel itself apart from a single connector for this box. So a proprietary cable and all the connections go into the box, which is brilliant because it means that when they do finally agree the 4K um, standards and HDMI 2.0 gets released, all Samsung have to do is send out a new one of these boxes to their customers and Bob's your uncle, you've got an upgraded future-proof telly. Absolutely brilliant, not just not only that, but also it means that you can, if you're wall mounting, for example, you've got the box somewhere else and just that one cable along with the power cable going to the TV itself, which is nice, tidy cable management. So in that sense... Brilliant. I mean, that, that gives it, in that sense, it gives it the edge over the Sony because I actually can see how this can be future-proofed. I'm dubious about how LG and Sony are going to do theirs. Um, unless so, very, very similar. Unless <laughs> LG have copied the Samsung, <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. Um, so, so the box thing, great idea. Um, the look of it's very, um, what I describe is quite un-Samsung-like. 
it's you know it's kind of a classic TV design with yeah, it looks really, black. really good. I thought it's attractive. Yeah, it's it's got very, but it's very sort of classic and um and simple really. It's just got a black brushed metal bezel, standard rectangular stand, sort of silver trim on the outside of the display. Maybe it's quite an attractive TV. Sound is um they've been working obviously. I think every manufacturer has been working on the sound quality in the last um, last year or so because everyone knows they've been pretty poor. And again, it, it sounded a lot better than previous um um Samsung TVs. I hope it is a the, the chassis is a bit deeper, which might have helped a bit. Um, in terms of 4K, well, you know, again, there's no content, so I, I've, I have some test stuff I could watch on it. But most of the stuff I was watching was upscaled 1080p, which looked very good. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's a solid TV. It's a oh, big thing, of course. How much is it, price. Steve, this one? Yeah, I was going to say, big thing is price. And you can currently get it for 3,300 quid, which is about 800 pounds, if that, more than the flagship um, 1080p Samsung, which is the F8000. This is the F9000 we're reviewing at the moment. I mean, that's not a massive premium for what is brand new tech. So, yeah, when you're in that uh, ballpark the, anyway, you, you know, it's not that much maybe, to think of. There may be more price cuts coming as well. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be hitting a sort of a mass market price tipping point pretty quickly. Interesting, you mentioned um, the sound. Obviously, the Sony had the the speakers built into the chassis. This doesn't. No, they're, they're, they're sort of in the base downward firing more sort of traditional um, um, implementation of speakers these days. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not ideal, but it didn't sound bad at all. You know, I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, anyone who buys one of these TVs, you know, anyone who's spending four grand on a telly is almost certainly going to be using it with some kind of outboard amplification. And I did make this point to Samsung. I said, you know, why don't you just build a TV with no speakers? You know, just deliver the as a, as a monitor, the way that Pioneer did do. In fact, funnily enough, Pioneer used to do, you know, you could add speakers and it had the separate box. Um, and they said that the problem is that the, the, the head of Samsung has got this thing about wanting everything to be all in one solution in one TV, and therefore sort of demands that they, they put speakers in, even though they all agree that actually it would make more sense not to bother. It would, get, it would, it would mean they could concentrate just on the picture, they could keep the price down a little bit more. You know, you're spending money on things people aren't necessarily going to use, which is particularly the case with the Sony, where you have those really big speakers on the sides, um, which you know might not get used at all by anyone who buys a 65-inch, £6,000 4K TV. So um, yeah, it's, it's 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 the sound was was quite possible, but clearly you know uh, if you want a really good sound, you're going to go to an out, some sort of outboard solution. I thought it was interesting about the price. I was uh, walking around my local store today, in fact. Um, what what was that LG? The eighty four inch LG four K TV. Twenty four thousand. Yeah. Twenty four thousand. Yeah. Twelve thousand five hundred now. In what's that? Eight months. That's a significant price drop because you don't know how many of those they sold. <laughs> Is it not? Yeah. Although, and then next door to it, they had the 85-inch Samsung, which was the price of a small car. Yeah, that's thirty grand. Five thousand pounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. The the the, the, the 85-inch Samsung is um. It's a unbelievably expensive. Yeah. Uh, B has that hideous easel. That horrible stand. stand. Yeah, it's a really horrible, stand horrible stand. Um, the good thing about it is it does have um, full array backlighting rather than edge lighting, which on a screen of that size you have to do. Yeah, um, it did look quite You really can't edge light on an 84-inch screen. It's going to just look awful. Oh, well, well, well worth the 35 grand then if, if it does that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's a snip, I think, £5,000. For something you're not going to be able to watch anything on. <laughs> I, think, I think we really upset Samsung at, at CES, uh, the, the UK rep is there, and... and we didn't have very kind words for that design, did we? So it, it well, looked the funny far thing better. is, you, we pointed out, didn't we, that you know, at an angle, 
the, the, the stand <laughs> itself gets in the way of the picture. Yeah. And even not, though not we idea, could show him that from where we were standing, he seemed oblivious to that particular point. <laughs> yeah, a bit like carved TVs, which, uh, you know, brilliant segue, brings Aye. us into the next uh, subject, which is OLED, which um, it says in my notes it's finally arrived. Oh, I believe that when I see it. But uh, Samsung have launched their models. Um, no price yet, but I think we're guessing somewhere between six and nine grand round about that sort of price level for this and it's curved um you all know my thoughts on curved tvs i don't need to say it again it's a bit bent i think they'll look nice <laughs> won't they in, in, <laughs> they'll look nice to the likes of harrods and john lewis and you know they'll, they might sell on that aesthetic but yeah who, who really wants that uh so yes the, the 55 inch s9c arriving next wednesday so uh prepare yourselves for a, a price announcement at Ether, we think. Yeah. I mean, so. I mean, are they not releasing a flat one, just a curved one? Well, I would. Well, I don't know. They're going to at some point, aren't they? But maybe they want to shift a yeah, few 4K TVs. We do, we do want a flat OLED screen. That would be well, great. Of course, yeah. We just don't want a curved one because I can't imagine manufacturing a, a curved one is any easier than a, I can't imagine the yields are any better with the curved ones than the flat ones. But yeah, it seems strange that they're coming in with the curved ones. Uh, just going to confuse people, I would have thought. But uh, there was rumours, I think, back in June that there was. Samsung were going to release a 75-inch EFA and a 77-inch from LG probably an hour later, so they can have the world's largest OLED. Uh, so w- maybe they'll be flat with any luck. But, uh, yeah, that's... Maybe that's... when it's curved, you're so annoyed at what you're looking at, you don't notice any of the production problems that mean they'd have to junk a flat screen. Just maybe that that's how it works. Are you suggesting... <laughs> They've got issues with making them. <laughs> I, I think I think my f- my favourite line from the press release was that um, this is like an IMAX screen at home. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's no. not. Though, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's only fifty-five inches for a start. Uh, this whole cinematic thing, because it's covered and all the rest, of it, it's absolute bollocks. Um, <laughs> so why why why, <laughs> why do you think you're introducing the first gen of OLED in this way to the public? Just because, so that it's just different because from they normal can. TVs. Just because they can. I mean, it's one of the things with OLED. OLED is flexible, uh, and you know you're going to see it in mobile phones, and you're going to see it in other gadgets where the screen's flexible, or you or you can fold it up and that kind of thing. Because the technology works that way. It's is one of the benefits. But when it comes to TVs, what is the point of a curved screen? I can understand it on a 80 foot cinema screen when you're using anamorphic lenses and you get pen cushion and stuff because that's what it's designed to do it makes sure that the light is the same brightness all the way across the screen because it's such a large screen they have to taper it in so the light hits it at the same time as the center um that's the point of a curved screen it's not cinematic and it doesn't belong on a tv you could make a great goldfish bowl screensaver though (laughs) <laughs> it's true there was, there was a bloke in The Economist this week who was quite excited about it as a concept for, for more realistic um, actual professional training flight simulators but again domestically that's it's not, curve, it's not curved to that extent though it's only just a gentle curve it's just... oh no 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 no. he was saying there are there is, there is oh, scope see, yeah, down the line, going think, forward yeah. where you can yeah, actually sure. do for, for, for combat jets you can actually do a, like the, the entire canopy yeah I mean, it could be incredible for game, really incredible for gaming I would have thought it could be uh, well, you've got the Oculus Rift for that, haven't you, Mark? If you want the the true uh, experience of actually being there. Well, you've got that kind of thing. You've got multiple monitor setups and the like. Um, it's something that's never really kind of caught on because, I mean, you need a great setup for it and usually the size of the PC you need to kind of drive anything that you could be processing three yeah, different screens at once. 
that's why it's so good because you won't you won't need all that extra processing, will you? You only drive in one screen. And the power you have quite a low input lag too, given the response times on there. Yeah, that, that, that's an unknown quantity, but they're, that, they're promising it, aren't they? We will see. With all that processing, I'm dubious. <laughs> I don't know. All this effort, it, it, the, the most atmospheric games I remember playing, you know, were, were la- laughably crude by modern standards, but it was just all about how the suspension of disbelief. Space Hulk on the Amiga. Really Defender. Quite something, but you know, let's face it, we're done on a shonky 13 inch CRT in my case. So. Yeah, the world has moved on from there, Ed. Uh, even, <laughs> speak, speak for yourself. E- even I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a gamer, but even I know that's moved on. Um, yeah, I suppose gaming wise, uh, there are uses for carving the screens. Um, advertising, definitely. Uh, you could put carved screens on the sides of buildings and that kind of thing. I can mm-hmm. I can see where the, the technology would work, but for in the home, it, it's absolute bollocks. And it's advertising, it's marketing, um, and you know I feel sorry for people who will pay that type of money for a screen which is flawed, basically. And it's a new technology. Do you really want to take the risk on Generation 1? Oh, no. No, this is just Generation 3, isn't it, according to LG? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but Maybe none of these generations have, th- have thus far experienced contact with the customer. <laughs> Ergo, and they are very much Generations 1. <laughs> Yeah. But how are they even actually marketing this? How, w- what's the kind of as, driving as force behind it? They're marketing it as IMAX at home. That that's the that is the line from the press release. IMAX at home, cinematic experience. Yeah, but what's that going to do to the Great British Bake Off? I mean, well, those cakes just are as a case really of, good. <laughs> except they're not. It's not. It's certain things where it's a trade-off to just how much cinematic experience you want versus just what on earth it's going to do to normal television. Having Jeremy Kyle in your home. I'm Curvy sorry. buns. Literally. <laughs> well, nothing can save that, can it? I mean, whatever you watch it on. I mean, I mean, they've got a problem, you're absolutely right, Mark B, that um, one of the things they've got a problem with is they've been spending the last five years telling everyone that they're buying an LED TV. And they haven't been. They've been buying an LCD TV with an LED backlight. Now they've got OLED... People are going to say, well, hang on, what's the between that and the TV that I've already got? So well, they're going to have the triple further... whammy, aren't they? The triple whammy in the shop floor. They're going to have 4K OLED and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. LEDs. They've, they've also got OLED. Which Explain is... that one, Mr. Salesman. And yeah. so making it curved at least means it, it stands out from the rest of the crowd, which I suspect is the reason why they've done it. Uh, but what's it do to things like viewing angles? Yeah, well, well, up, basically it's one sweet spot and that's it's, it. It's a See, that's the, the really weird thing to me is is this idea that in fact we went from like the big selling point for flat screens was you could actually put one in the living room and you wouldn't have to move it. You wouldn't have to say, right, who gets the good chair with a good viewing angle and who sat off to the side on the crappy sofa? And then all of oh, a sudden... That depends entirely upon what kind of TV you're looking at. I mean, the, the, the one I was talking about a few minutes ago, the UE55 uh, F9000, Samsung has a very narrow field of view uh, to get the best blacks. You had to basically be sat right in front of it. See, it um, seems like the kind of thing where they can only really sell it to someone who's saying, I have one chair, I'm the only person who will watch this, and that's it. You know, Whereas the vast majority of yeah, people, people who have other compromises. <laughs> I was just going to say target audience right here. <laughs> oh, do we, do we, do we want to? Yeah. No, I'm serious. I mean, Steve lives on his own. He can sit right in front of it. Target audience. There you go. <laughs> it just doesn't have well, the disposable uh, income, that's all. No, but he wouldn't spend his time watching too. quality films like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, so he'd know the quotes. He's not going to let this one go, go quietly. <laughs> Sit there re-watching Jaws for the thousand. 
I think he's just snipped uh, Mark's mic cable there. No, I muted it. All right, okay. <laughs> Saves me with a beep. Still talking. It? <laughs> yep. Uh, right, so obviously uh, they made this announcement. Uh, it is IFA next week. Um, it's the largest European show. They keep saying it's bigger than CES, but that's that's not not the case in terms of square footage. I think it's the same. Yeah, but, I think that's what they mean, isn't it? It's just but, a but of what, what they tend to do is you'll have Sony will have one giant hall, and Panasonic will have one giant hall, and LG will have a giant hall, and uh, you know that's it. It's not like loads and loads of uh, stand space. It's like huge halls. Um, all laid out with the latest products and so on. And I've just been looking at uh, an email from Panasonic Press Office telling us about what we can expect on their stand. And I looked through it, and it looks like it's the same stand that was at CES at the I beginning it's of the, the same year. press release, just with a few details, Jane. <laughs> I don't even think that, Mark. It was, like, exactly the same layout. And yeah. this is the problem with, with IFA um, because of the time of year. I don't know what it's like for Hi-Fi, Ed, but certainly uh, the, the time of year, you know, it's September... You're getting towards the the end of the year, quarter four. You would think the only real benefits there are a push product for quarter four for Christmas sales. Um, everything else happens in January, which is you know it's, it's only four months away. Yeah, hi-fi manufacturers don't really know what to do with IFA. Um, they, if you are a, like a, a genuine audio manufacturer, you're just going to get lost amongst the enormous screens and uh, and the white goods. So. Some of the bigger companies sort of come along as they sort of feel obligated to do. It's a big German show. It has a large audience. But no, in terms of releases, you'll be looking at uh, a a comparatively small number of bits and bobs. Although, um, in a complete 180 degree turn from last week, I am actually going now. Um, so uh, if there is you there then, Ed. (laughs) Yeah, if there is anything new, I'll uh, I I will do my best to take a picture of it. Mine's a pipe, please, Ed. Oh, well, I'm out on the Sunday and the Monday. So before you get excited, I don't know if that's the same, or are you just no, there for no, another thing. I'll, I'll, I'll be gone by then. No, oh, there you go. You see, so you know, it'll unless I'm going to email my order into one of the beer tents, you, you ain't getting a beer off me. I wouldn't buy him a beer either. Just buy him a nice sausage. It must be said that he, he, he for does, <laughs> no, does no, have, thank does you, have, Ed, I do not want any sausage. Would you use the man on this date? I've, I've got, to, I've got to say, you know, Ed's comments on last week's podcast about big burly German men. <laughs> And sausages. I'm starting to worry about this now. I really am. I spent most of my childhood growing up in Germany. It it, it still evokes a, a fairly strong feeling of, of, of familiarity. You know, just pork products, ludicrous facial hair, leather jelly waistcoats. Pig's head. <laughs> we had jelly pig's head. Later Not hosen. recently, no. Yeah. Yeah. Currywurst. Currywurst is, nice. is, is, the, uh, is the meal, definitely. They're just good at sausages, full stop. And I mean that in a pork product way and not a, a horrifying reference to... to Even if they turned them into Zeppelins and bombed us with them later. <laughs> how, how do you get Have you been at the diesel again? With this? No, no, I was just watching Attack of Zeppelins on TV and they used um, the stomach lining of, of, of... Well, stomach lining of cows, which is what they were making sausages out of, is what they made the bags of, heli- of um, hydrogen rather that were inside the Zeppelins from because they, they weren't porous and they could see them together and, and make them airtight or hydrogen tight um and yeah so for about two years in germany during world war one there were no sausages because they were using all the skins to make zeppelins so if it a quarter of a million like, cows were required if it would have gone up like, a, like the hindenburg it would have come down like crackling then <laughs> no no they they, they changed <laughs> by then, but that would have been worth it 
does ask, yeah, when they caught fire, whether there was a sort of delicious beefy smell. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, they were incredibly difficult, regardless of you might think from watching the Hindenburg blow up, actually really difficult to set fire to. No, no, no. The, the Germans did know a lot about putting several million cubic feet of hydrogen in one place. That's why, actually, comparatively, they had less horrifying incidences than people that built a lot less air- airships than they did. They also tend to be quite good at dropping large sentry devices on us, which was another interesting thing. Oh, yes. Let it go, Steve. <laughs> it's I'd, been a hundred years. Yeah. Let it go. I'd, I'd let it go before next week, otherwise. You <laughs> but I don't want an international AV don't forums mention incident. the war. <laughs> <laughs> what was it you said at the beginning of this podcast? Well, I want no deviations. Efer to Zeppelin bombing. <laughs> and in less than 90 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry, uh, although it was an interesting thing that you brought up there, Ed, about the white goods, and this is something I, th- I think that people forget. They, they think Eva is a huge show, but actually, about half the show is white goods. Um, everything from you know washing machines, irons, um, and fridge freezers, and so on. Um, it's one of these things when you go on one of the stand tours, it bores the absolute pants off of me. Well, speak for yourself. I, I I appreciate a good kitchen as much as the next metrosexual does. So you know, I, I some some of the stuff there was great. And it must be said, I'm going to stick my neck out here. They're a better quality of promo girl pushing some of the kitchen stuff than than than, than we get on the consumer electronics side. The the one thing I, I saw last year, which I thought was really really cool, was the um the Hobbs. Um, it's the induction based the induction system, based yeah. system where. Uh, you put the pan down, and all it does is it heats the area under the pan. It doesn't heat anywhere else, um, so you can't burn yourself. But uh, but you can also power your kettle and other goods by just putting it on top of the hub. I thought yeah. that that was really really interesting. That 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 was you know for me, being a single bloke who eats from a takeaway and doesn't really cook. Um, that was interesting. That might get me in the kitchen. Listen, would it make you cook? Or you just warm your takeaway on it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just one <laughs> takeaway on it. As I say, the Phillips ironing competition last time. Now, yeah, let's not go there. Running something like that again. <laughs> between, between the between the white goods, the prams, and the sausages, I'm beginning to wonder about you, Ed. Well, you can you can make whatever judgments you like. I, There's I, a pram I, involved, I'm Steve. Perfectly Wait, happy. Where there's no I kids am. in your life? We noticed. <laughs> Sorry. There's a pram in, at least there's a pram in Ed's life. There's no, uh, there's no uh, sign of a pram in yours. Uh, anyway, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, hands up who's editing the podcast after this. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the pram because um, I'm just opening my browser because we did get asked a question, actually, uh, on, the, uh, on the podcast thread. Um, actually, we were told off because we didn't do an up-to-the-date uh, on time update for the Pram News. I'm just trying to think who it was. Give me a second. It was. Taxi Man, was it not? It was Licensed Taxi Man. He was disappointed there wasn't any beeps. Well, we can f help there. Um, <laughs> and uh, he said there was nothing about the Pram. So, uh, what is the latest news on the Pram? Well, I've been practicing with it. I'm getting, I'm getting well good at folding it up with one hand, and um, uh, we've actually moved on from that. It's, it's all sewed away. Uh, mainly been uh, correcting the idiocy of the Ford Motor Company, who build what they purport to be a family car, which doesn't have any Isofix mounts in it. So I had to have that all. Any what? Sorry. Isofix. It's, it's a mount. Oh. It's a universal fixing for child seats, um, and it goes in on a sled. <coughs> so instead of 
spending a lot of time. You just use a seatbelt for that. Well, no, instead of instead of standing there in the rain trying to put Junior in using the seatbelts, it just clamps on, so it's convenient and it's safer because the seat itself moves entirely on the same axis as the vehicle does, and you're essentially anchored all the way down to the subframe. So it's win-win. And now, thanks to and what, me correcting Ford's screw-up, I can do that. What use is that in a two-seater two sports car? Do you know what? This is the thing. You, you, you're being, I know, I, obviously I can tell you're being facetious, and I'll forgive you for that, but <laughs> it's the ridiculous position where if you buy a brand-new 2013 Porsche 911, it's got ISOFIX mounts on those little back seats it has, and this bloody C-Max I bought, you know, which is just a van with windows. It's as sensible as it gets, isn't it? Didn't have, didn't have them as standard, which, That's, you know. Ed, because the only thing you can fit on the back seats of a Porsche is a tiny little kid's seat. Actually, do you know what? I had to fold myself into the back seats of a 911 on Thursday night, and I actually needed help to get out the other end. I mean, obviously, those people have seen me. I'm not the smallest or thinnest bloke going, so it's partly self-inflicted. But I, I, once I got in there, there's that nagging feeling, I'm not coming out again without help. Or, or worse than that, if this, if this car crashes, I'm finished. Well, that, I, can, I can no, imagine. I'm so wedged in place. I'd have been <laughs> I, I can imagine, Ed, having you in there would uh, change the complete dynamics of the car, you know, the weight distri- distribution and so on. Joking aside, I, I, I don't know if you've ever been on any of those like internal flights where I, I, I used to do a lot of work with one guy who was at least the same size as me, and they used to take one look at us getting on these tiny planes and go, "Actually, sir, would you, would you mind going on that side if you on the other?" And it's like, "Oh yeah, thank you very much." Everyone win. <laughs> Say it like you mean it. Yeah, I, I, I have been on those planes as well. Yeah, unfortunately. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, that's hardware. Come back in a second with movies. And we're yeah, back. Almost there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of these days we're, we're, we're going to race through this podcast and get it done in the hour that it's supposed to get done. Well, that's not... what happened last yeah. week, wasn't it? You, you made us do some more shit because yeah, we you, finished early. We all raced through it, then you said, actually, we don't have anything like enough. Because most of the <laughs> yeah, but it did, it did turn Plus, into... Let's co- talk about Theodore Rex. Woo! Yeah, well, you know, it turned into comedy gold, you know? So, you know, if I hadn't pushed us, we wouldn't have had that comedy gold. Uh, what's at the cinema, Steve? Right, well, this week um, we have Elysium, which is the new film from Neil Blimkout, who directed District 9. Um, it stars Matt Damon. Uh, he basically plays... A, it's set in the future, about 150 years in the future, and basically Earth is a complete dump. Total shithole, and everyone rich has moved off to Elysium, which is a massive orbiting space station. Now, the first thing I thought was, hang on a minute, <laughs> there's an awful lot of Halo in this film, because I don't know if anyone's played Halo, but they have these giant orbitals with, you know, with, with the... Um, sort of green grass and everything on the inside of the orbital world. That's basically what Elysium looks like. And Neil Blomkamp was going to direct at one point a film version of Halo. And I get the sneaking feeling he's been reusing ideas from that film <laughs> and the last two films he's made. Because the guns, some of the guns and the alien stuff in District 9 was very kind of Halo-y. And there's also quite a bit of Halo-y kind of guns in this one too. Not to mention various you know, um, aircraft and, and other, other vehicles plus Elysium itself. So, yeah, I think he has been reusing some of this old, old stuff from, from Halo on this stuff. Anyway, set in the near future, Everyone rich is living in Elysium, and it's clearly an allegory for um, you know the modern world now. And basically, we live in Elysium, and if you live in a third world, you're in a dump and and your life's rubbish. And that's basically the sense. So it's a bit heavy-handed in that sense. But then again, so is District Nine with uh, with with racism, basically. Um, but District Line was just a lot funnier and a lot more fun. This, this film, you know, it looked spectacular. There's one thing he's really good at: it's, it's making effects look realistic. Excuse me a second. There's a Hercules going over. 
It's a Zeppelin. Was that a, was that a <laughs> Watch out for the sausage. They've that come was the for best you. fart I ever heard. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's really good at making effects look realistic. Uh, you know, there's a kind of sense of, you know, almost documentary style to the whole thing. It's very handheld. A little bit too handheld in the fight scenes, which get very shaky cam. But, um, you know, the effects, it looks spectacular. At uh, least himself looks amazing. Um, I just kind of felt like, unlike District 9, which was kind of fun and funny and uh, and just, this just felt a bit too heavy-handed. I didn't really relate to Matt Damon's character. And as the hero, it makes it difficult. Jodie Foster's in it, and, and she plays like the villain, effectively. But her performance is awful. I mean, she's a great actress, don't get me wrong, but she's dreadful in this, really wooden. And I'm not quite sure if it was deliberate or, or whether she was having an off day or an off three weeks, however long she was on set for. But it was... Very, she was putting on this really fake, slightly weird English accent for one reason, for no obvious reason. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, she was a bit. Well, Sharp, Sharpo, Sheppy, Sharlto, hang on, hang on a minute. <laughs> whilst, whilst you search for that, I have to, I mean, quite unexpectedly, I went to see this as well. Um, uh, I'd love to say I disagree violently, but I don't. I thought it was needlessly preachy. Um, I honestly didn't really give a toss what happened to any of them. Um, and yeah, it's just weirdly unfulfilling. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I was, I, I was quite looking forward to this. The best two word review I could give of that film. Weirdly no, you're right. Unfulfilling. It, was, it, was, it was, it was very, I mean, at the end, um, I can only assume the ending was meant to be a commentary on universal healthcare. Um, that's how it read to me, but yes. yeah, it, it, it was preachy. It, it wasn't, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I just felt disappointed in a way. I mean, it looked fantastic, but I just didn't really engage with the characters. I really care about the plot. And that kind of is the important part. So, uh, and it wasn't particularly much fun. It was kind of very po-faced. And the only time it was funny was when Charlotte Copley was on, on state. On, hang on, let me do that again. When Charlotte Copley was on screen. Uh, he plays um, kind of like a, an enforcer stroke, hitman stroke lunatic. Uh, with a, and he is South African in real life, and he uses his really strong South African accent, which is kind of is kind of inherently funny. Um, so he was he was humorous in it, but otherwise the whole the film just felt uh, just felt like it was trying too hard at times, um, and it could have been more fun. Uh, so that's Elysium. The other film I saw, which actually doesn't come out until the end of this week, is Pain and Gain, uh, which is the new film from um, I totally forgot his name. <laughs> Bay. Yes, thank you. Michael Bay. <clears throat> yes. From that, you can describe it straight away. It is. It's the new film from Michael Bay. So it's the first film that hasn't involved giant robots since The Island, which was about 10 years ago, I think. Um, and uh, it's Michael Bay, off, 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 you know, sort of off the hook, R-rated, strong language, loads of violence. And actually, uh, I really enjoyed it. No. <laughs> it, yeah, I did. I really enjoyed oh, it. No. Because... Stephen. Oh, no. I like Michael Bay when he's doing that. Bad Boys 2, great film. <laughs> no. It was, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I, I mean, I'm not a big Mark Wahlberg fan, but he was quite funny in it. It is actually based on a true story. It's about a bunch of bodybuilders who basically kidnapped this guy and forced him to sign over all of, their, all of his money and assets to them. Um, and then he basically nicked all of his stuff. Um, and it is based on a true story. And a lot of the events in it are quite genuine. Some of them are ridiculous. You think, well, there's no way that could happen. At one point, something ridiculous is happening. And it actually says on the screen, this is still a true story. Um, <laughs> D D D Dwayne The Rock Johnson's in it. Um, and uh, he he's absolutely, I I've always liked him. I thought he was really uh, charming. And I, and I thought he was really funny in it. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of classic Michael Bay. It is hugely over the top. Uh, just ridiculous at times, but then it's telling such a ridiculous story that it kind of suits the material. Um, it's you know it's got violence, swearing, sex. It's just got a drug taking the lot in it basically. Um, but it, it is nice to see Michael Bay doing something that isn't aimed at ten year olds and designed to sell toys. Um, unfortunately, his next film is, is Transformers Four, so we're back to there's back a fourth to one. Oh yes, Transformers Four with, with Mark Wahlberg actually, funny enough, in the lead. Completely new cast. Um, apparently, they're kind of semi rebooting it now. Yes, yeah, a reboot, um, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so they can oh, obviously redesign all the toys and sell more of them to kids. Um, so yeah, Pain and, Pain and Gain, I actually, at least I enjoyed Pain and Gain, considering more than I enjoyed Elysium. Um, it was, it was, Pain and Gain was just quite funny in places. Um, it was nice action scenes. It was just, you know, it just felt like uh, he was letting his hair down, lower budget, 30 million, something like that. So for him, at least, tiny budget. Um, just letting his hair down and having a bit of a laugh, you know, uh, and playing around. And, and in that sense, you know, I was happy to go along for the ride. This is going to do nothing for your continued accusations that I swing both ways. But isn't the rock like <laughs> terrifyingly ripped in it? Isn't he like literally? Oh no, yeah, well they're, they're playing. The they're playing bodybuilders. So they're well, all... yes, I know that. But even by his standards, yeah, it's just no, like, oh abs- my god, he's absolutely gigantic in it. Um, uh, and Mark Wahlberg's really, you know, he, I mean, he's usually pretty buff, but he's actually huge as well because he really <laughs> built up. What the because hell? I'm struggling with this conversation. What the hell? So he's, I'm I'm by the rock. <laughs> Do you want a private room, you two? <laughs> well, I've got to say, it's the first time I've had it's the first time I've had the Rock described as charming. <laughs> really charismatic, actually. I, I genuinely like the Rock. Yeah, Steve's got a man crush. Steve's got a man crush. Well, you could get crushed by it. Definitely crush us. Yes. <laughs> no question about that. <laughs> um, it's got Ed Harris in it playing a private detective and Ed Harris is always good value uh, and, and it's also got um, Tony Shalhoub who's very funny as the guy that they basically um, steal from to be fair there are accusations against the film which is because it is based on a true story uh, there is a, a set part where, where, where two people are, are murdered and people have accused it of seeing you because you sympathise with the villains basically <laughs> is kind of the point um, and, and in doing so you're thinking well I'm sympathising with somebody who has you know he's killed people, you know, and then maybe you shouldn't. These are real people. It's not like it's a fiction. These people did actually die in real life. So maybe you shouldn't be sympathising with people like that. But, um, yeah. ah, sorry, it's funny. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, Steve, because I was going to mention that. Tonally, it's, it's wrong. It's just wrong. It's played it? as, as a comedy, and it's just, it's, it's wrong. But anyway, Michael Bay, what Simon. a pile of crap. Anyway, but anyway, silence. moving swiftly then. Anyway, moving on from uh, ripped men and that kind of discussion, uh, Ben Affleck as Batman. Oh, my God. <laughs> didn't, he, didn't he play Daredevil? He played Daredevil. I actually quite like that film. Yeah, but he didn't he swear afterwards he'd never get into another pair of tights again. Well, they're not technically tights on Batman. Well, so. I know they're not technically tights. But, it uh, depends. If he, goes, if he reboots it as the Adam West version, he will be. Oh, see, that I'd go point. and see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially if it was The Rock in a pair of time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a self-satisfied little sigh there. Um, I don't yeah. know. I, 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 I've got to say that I was convinced that this film was going to be terrible anyway. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, they could have cast... Well, they could Adam have... Adam West. <laughs> Theodore Rex. <Yes>. Anyone. <laughs> Anyone, yeah, I just don't think that the premise, I think it's just going to be another, it's going to take itself monstrously seriously, and it's going to be 
absolutely joyless. Well, you see, in the, the interesting thing for me is the whole internet thing. You know, Twitter went crazy, Facebook's gone crazy, uh, forums have gone crazy with people saying, giving their opinions on this. There's, there's even a petition, petition in the studio saying Ben Affleck should not play Batman. That's, yeah, I, that's just silly, isn't it? I saw, I saw something on the internet where he said Ben Affleck went home, polished his Oscars, shagged Jennifer Garner, and then laughed at the internet. <laughs> oh, I'm Batman. <laughs> 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 that sums it up, really. I, it does seem ridiculous. I mean, wasn't there a massive uproar when they cast Michael Keaton as Batman? Back I was going to say, Michael Keaton was a more unusual well, choice yeah, for that, Batman. That was, that yeah. was definitively because, left. <clears throat> because Ben's got a good chin. That's the only bit of Batman you ever see, isn't it? You want a good manly oh, chin. God. Stop it. Chin. Stop but it. He's always smirking. Enough, I don't think Batman should <laughs> smirk too much. I think people think that Ben Affleck's too smug. Well, well actually, yeah, well, smug, you... I'd be smug if I was him. <laughs> the, the last internet uproar over a Batman character was for the Joker and who yeah, was going that, and yeah. who was going to play the Joker. Do you remember the, the, right. the, the uproar at the time and there was talks of petitions and all the rest of it? One of the best screen performances in the last twenty years. Absolutely right, Phil. Yeah. yeah, Heath Ledger. Yeah, I reckon no. that Affleck should subvert expectations though, and do the entire thing with his Argo beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that could just really. Oh no, better still, a giant uh, like Dirty Sanchez moustache. Really, <laughs> Batman. Then he looked like Big Daddy out of Kiss Ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the version Steve sings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, some great. Well, I, I, I mean, it's you know, this could go either way. But and you know, I said this two podcasts ago, three podcasts ago, that this is likely to be the film that's going to bust the bubble. And the no, nothing at the minute. Go pay to see to see if it is a train wreck. And in doing that, I would be. Avoiding the self-fulfilling property that it will be terrible. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. I think I'm going to go and see it just to see how bad it is. What so, I might do is I might pay to see a different film and then sneak in just so I don't. <laughs> <get> the- <laughs> I refuse to give any money to the passion to, to Mel Gibson for the Passion of the Christ. So I paid. I can't remember what I get paid to go and see instead. They started five minutes apart. Paid to go and see one thing, went and see the other. You know, and the last time I checked, Mel Gibson and his mental church weren't in any danger of running out of money. So, you know, everyone's a winner. Superman and Batman, it could work, though. I mean, there are plenty of good Superman and Batman crossovers. I mean, the comics. Yeah. yeah. See, the closer it gets, the sad fact is, is that I was ready to say that it'll probably be terrible. But the closer it gets, and as soon as I start seeing some shots from it, I will kind of get drawn into that hype train. It will be the kind of thing that you will have to see, because whether it's themed good or terrible, people will want to have an opinion on it. And so that almost guarantees you a certain amount anyway. Yeah, but Mark, have you not um, in the past admitted that you are easily susceptible to any type of hype? Yeah, yes, there is that, I will admit. But you know what? I'm I'm, going to go out on a limb here and say that as much as I dislike Ben Affleck's face, I think he might make a good Batman. I I think, I mean, if, if you saw him in Hollywood land, he had this, the same kind of, you know, screen-eyed looks of a That's typical right. yeah, comic that. book comic book hero with a square jaw and everything. But he, he had a certain amount of gravitas, the, the kind of vulnerability of Bruce Wayne really you'd associate. He was in Hollywood he was, Land, actually. He was fantastic in that. Yeah, yeah so I, I forgot about Hollywood Land. It's the one film you forget about because he was good in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
No, to oh, quote yeah, James, brilliant, to quote James Island Bob, Affleck was the bomb in Phantom, yo. And I, I still <laughs> say that was his greatest screen performance. What, Phantom? No, no, no. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> I haven't been no, with them. reindeer game, surely. <laughs> no, no, because there was that conversation in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back about between him and Matt Damon about the films they make. And there was a little hint of truth in it. You know, the digs at forces of nature and things like that, where he had to kind of slightly, ex- you felt, accept that he had made some real turds. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he knows he did it for the money. Didn't, didn't Kevin Smith once say that when he made the film Paycheck, never has a film had a more appropriate title? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, just when they go get pass over that, that film promo board, only Ben Affleck can stop the moon oh. raper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's able to laugh at himself. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, what was thing. the what was the thing he did with Sarah Silverman and um, uh, was it Jimmy Fallon? And Sarah Silverman oh, yeah, went yeah. on the show and <laughs> said, "I'm f-ing Matt Damon." And then the next again week, Jimmy is it is it Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon? It was Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel. Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Ben, ben Affleck. <laughs> and the both they were both in it. Brad Pitt was in it. Um, oh, who else was in it? There was loads of Hollywood people. Uh, yeah, in it. half of Hollywood was in that. Yeah, but they got a good sense of humour. I've got to say that about Affleck. He has got a good sense of humour. And what a shame at the Oscars. Yes. Yeah, he's also a very talented director. I have to say, certainly, certainly more talented than Zack Snyder. <laughs> Well, it could go either way, so we'll see how we go. Could go either way, yeah, a bit like you, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's no could about it. <laughs> All right, let's uh, quickly wrap up on the movies and TV side of things. Uh, Kevin Spacey uh, gave uh, a business speech uh, last week uh, to TV executives, TV studios and so on, and have to say um, what he raised was really quite interesting, Mark. Yeah. Uh, Kevin was saying that uh, to, to big and to a lot of broadcasters that they've really got to seize this time and give the public what they want and how they want it. So uh, specifically uh, citing his example of uh, the excellent um, House of Cards, which was a Netflix exclusive. Uh, and he was saying uh, that people really want to be able to access all the episodes at, you know, at once or just uh, in a binge kind of uh, viewing method uh, and yeah and I'm, I'm totally with that um breaking bad's just reappeared on netflix but uh unfortunately that is on the drip feed as it happens because of because of the way it's uh, the uh licensing agreements with the u.s yeah, it's the day after the u.s it's the day after off, yeah I, and i refuse to watch it until there's at least four you in are a binger aren't you mark you i am a bit i have to do it in binge fashion so i've actually gone back and started watching it from uh, somewhere in that in series uh four i think around about episode 10 just so i'm doing i, I want to do it in blocks of three or four at a time so yeah and i'm totally with that and he, he, he was saying you've got to, they've got to look at the way they distribute uh and the way they they, they allow people to access uh the content and yeah, it was just very forward-thinking, um, very forward-thinking stuff from Kevin Spacey. It's one of the my pet hates about Netflix is the fact that you get the full seasons of quite a few TV programs that I want to see, and I know that if I start on one season, that's going to be me right the way through till I finish the season, or at least you get... pick shows that have been cancelled. <laughs> Yeah, there is that bit. Pick the crap. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of defeats the object. No, I really like it. I really like digesting TV in that way. I I don't get a great deal of time to watch for pleasure. So an hour, an hour and a half, maybe uh, late at night. And if I can watch a couple of shows in that time, then I'm I'm up for the next night. I I just find the immersion factor just goes up when you you just, you just, it's just that much more 
in there if, if you're watching it in big blocks. I really enjoyed House of Cards doing it that way, the whole 13 yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, I think I got to 10 in one sitting, 9 or 10 in one so sitting. You, you, I can't do that. Um, but you see, that, that's what, I know what I'm like. That's why I'm trying to avoid <laughs> sitting down and starting seasons because I'm like that. It's, it, Addict. You, know, <laughs> oh, you can talk, Steve. Go on. <laughs> yeah. tell, tell us your habits. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's Hang on, are we still there. talking about TV? Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, what about you, Mark uh, B? How do how do you watch your TV, and and what do you think about mi- what Mister Spacey's suggesting? Um, you know, I tend to watch if if I can. If there's something that I'm interested in, I'll try and tape a few off TV and then watch them in a few blocks, maybe a couple couple of episodes at a time. But I can't watch any more than that, not in one go. Um, no, I think, I'd, I'd say a couple in a night, but over sort of three or four nights in the week, that's the way I really like to do it. I want more than suggesting sitting there watching one after the other. Until the I think one of the best experiences I've, I've had with the TV series in recent times was when they started showing The Wire in the UK and they were doing it on double bills per night and then they were doing it through the week like that. And so you could get, you know, like a double bill pretty much, you know, every night and you were guaranteed to get your fix that way. I think it's it's great to kind of get through a series so that you can kind of watch the the progression of it, but without, you know, letting it slide for a week because just kind of an hour a week when it, with the average kind of US show, it's about 44 minutes yeah. in general. And then you've got the kind of adverts and that kind of thing. And it, it just seems such an antiquated way to watch TV oh, now. So, uh, give people, that's what it's, you know, uh, 44 minutes or 46 minutes for a Breaking Bad. No ads, don't have to sit there waiting for anything. It's just it's just the perfect way of watching TV as far as I'm concerned. I know, Simon, you're not really into this streaming thing. What's your views? I do the same, but with, with the, the physical media, the disc. So um, I'm watching... Uh, I've just finished uh, Breaking Bad season four. I haven't started season five because I've only got the you know first half. Um, but I watched all of that in about a week, maybe eight days, yeah. two or three a night. You know, um, so it's I, the same I, way of consuming. Just bought, it's it's the same way of consuming it. It's just that I don't use it through the media. yeah, just a different way of doing it. But I mean, it is the way to view to, to view TV programs is. Um, Either Netflix, streaming it Netflix or, or... is £6 a month and what's it cost you for the disc? <laughs> yeah, the, the masters, Netflix is such good value. I mean, I watched yeah. four seasons of the fr- of Fringe that I was thinking of buying on Blu-ray, which would have been 100 quid. Yeah, And I watched it for basically nothing. And that's it. For TV series, I, I don't, I'm not so bothered about it being on Blu-ray. You know, the, the quality's fine if your connection's good for, plus, for TV series. Netflix US, Ed, BMX Bandit. Is it on there? It's on there. Is it on there? <laughs> After our last Ooh. podcast, I thought, I wonder if it's on Netflix. And it's there. And it's bloody terrible. <laughs> I was for a second suggesting I, it I was good, for God's sake. It's just a, a very young I, 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 I managed the uh, the intro credits. And then when he said, in a very Australian voice, let's go and have a milkshake. I thought, oh, f- but, but I, I could see the appeal back in the 80s to the kids, though. The opening sequence was somebody on a mongoose, somebody on a diamond back, uh, doing their stunts and stuff all the way down this hill to go and get their milkshake. I could see why it'd appeal to the kids, but... Yeah, and and Australian. It needs, it needs to be judged firmly in the context of where, you know, it's an 80s Australian film. <laughs> Two things counting against it quite significantly there. Yeah, I but, mean, yeah. you know, some kids on BMXs, uh, battling bank robbers with guns and stuff. Yeah, okay. It's a bit A-team-ish, isn't it? Uh, yeah, with the added downside, they didn't build anything. 
you know, you didn't get locked in a <laughs> garage no with a suspiciously large quantity of welding equipment. The unlo- un- you can't use welding equipment at that age. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, as I say, it's, 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 I'm not, I, at no point last week whilst eulogising about that film did I say it was good. I, I need to make this abundantly. I don't want to be done for false advertising here. I just, it, I just love it because it, you know, I watched it when I was a kid, and it was, you know, I, I think I went straight out and did something stupid on my bike, fell off and chipped a tooth. You know, that's what you do. It's like Jackass, but before Jackass. I did watch it as a kid, Ed. I've, I've got to admit that, that BMX thing in the eighties. Yeah, I was part of that. I was no good at it, but you know, <laughs> I could yeah, pull, I could pull a wheelie and do a bunny hop. I couldn't do that that's these more, days. more than I could do. <laughs> you do a wheelie all the time with your weight. Well, presumably you just bit through the end of your cigarette and that, that, that never did a good You're not enough far from the truth, actually. <laughs> that's where all the best comedy comes from, being uncomfortably close to reality. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to see us uh, keeping the podcast on track. Uh, that is the movie's uh, news. Let's move on. And uh, when we come back, it's games news. So, moving on, uh, games news and uh, talking about Germany, uh, let's go back to Germany. Gamescom, uh, news and views, Mark. Yeah, Gamescom in Germany. Um, latest opportunity for Microsoft and Sony to go up against one another. And it's been a bit of a surprise because the Xbox One actually seems to have found a bit of stable ground, finally. Um the Microsoft showing was initially uh, not streamed live, um, though there's videos of it available afterwards. And it was a brief 30-odd minutes that was very concise, uh, very well targeted. They stuck to their key points of a few little backtracks, as has become customary for Microsoft now. Um, no fees for indie developers uh, to release updates Indies on one can self-publish, um, access to analytics and the cloud. And, you know, the goal of every console being a dev kit was, did smack a bit of kind of PR talk. But other than that, they kept it reliably free from, from fluff and just general marketing speak and just basically tried to emphasize that, you know, it, it is you're primarily buying a games console and these are the games that you will get with it. Um, on the other hand, Sony kind of still had a bit of an overflow from E3. It felt it was a, it was a pretty kind of bloated ninety minutes. Um, you know, wheeling out a few fan favourites, Shuei Yoshida demoing the OS early on, um, and a lot of kind of PlayStation Hearts Indies theme about it. And it did feel very much like like they were just carrying on the narrative that had already moved on. You know having a little dig at Microsoft about, you know, remaining consistent was was an argument. Unnece- uh, it, it was pretty much unnecessary given that, you know, the whole discussion has moved on since there and Microsoft managed to preempt that. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was interesting simply because we've become so used to Microsoft shooting themselves in the foot at these things that for them to put in a decent showing uh, and manage to gain parity but also preempt what was going to happen at the sony show just i was very impressed nice sweetener as well with fifa in the box with the xbox one oh that that was massive i mean it, it's people will say it's playing to the crowd people will say that it's populist people oh, will say that's what you should yeah, do exactly you've got call of duty and fifa are the two big games that are going to sell masses they're ones that 
there there's a huge section of the gaming market that literally just buy those games those are their yearly games and they've got exclusive content for call of duty ghosts and they've got a fifa 14 bundle as well as it free in all pre-orders you know that's that's massive they've basically taken you know the money that was that people will look at for getting the connect in the box which yeah, was an extra 80 pounds and they've 50 slashed 50 pounds off, yeah. pound off it straight away so all of a sudden it's 30 pounds and for 30 pounds saying connects in there a lot of people will start to say well you know maybe uh, maybe i'll give this you know whole voice command and, and gesture command I'll, I'll give it a try for 30 quid is this spending the huge reserve of money that Steve Ballmer has allegedly sort of built up over the years? Is this where it all comes into play? They can just afford to be a bit more lavish on the whole freebies and bungs than, than Sony can? I, I, I think at the end of the day, it's to do with the fact that, I mean, number one, it's not going to be a physical game in the box, is it? It's just going to be a, a digital download. So it's basically, it's getting you into the idea of, starting to download things and put them on your console and, and ultimately that's what they want as they've had to kind of bastardize their design and say right well we've got to give them you know discs that they can run on the optical drive we want them downloading so that they can move between applications we want them to have all their games on the hard drive anyway what's the best way to get people convinced that's the way forward well you know start offering games in bundles the only joke is really is it's everyone wants it and the industry wants it to go to uh, digital download Sony included really but they're just being a bit more coy about it yeah I mean that's that's it's got to be the future we all know it is we're all kind of dragging our heels saying no I want to stick with the you know with a physical medium but we all know that that's basically where we're going anyway just bring those prices down yeah and the fantastic thing was as well which I didn't expect to see was we finally saw a little bit more humility with regards to pushing smart glass technology. And it, it did look at least passable with the, the Tom Clancy's the Division demo, which was all, all you really want. I think one of the things that put most people off from, uh, you know, the, the Xbox One E3 show was that, you know, Microsoft didn't seem to find any sense of humility. Yeah. It seemed to be so believing in their own hype. And then you come back to almost, you know, Steve Ballmer, which is this idea of a company moving forward and, and sure that everyone basically buys everything they say. And that kind of not only puts people off, they not only doubt it, but it makes them actually think, right, well, I'm not buying that because I think this person's lying to me from day one. Mm. And, of course, Steve's now leaving, which uh, has put their share price up as well. Interesting. Yeah, well, 9%, didn't yeah. In- interesting thing as well, which I, I noticed, Mark, is the, the employees of Microsoft are, are going to get white uh, Xbox Ones. What's the point? <laughs> well, well, I was, I was, I was, I was a white Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. You know, the first thing I thought when when I saw that, and the publicity that that certain websites were giving it, and and get putting this story out, is that if you're a Microsoft employee, you are going to score big time on eBay when you get your white Xbox One. Yeah, I know, but you've got to do it under a, a kind of assumed name or something because that's that's going to be considered high treason from Microsoft. Frowned upon at the very least. There will be someone employed. Four hundred or something. So, was it, was it four thousand? I can't remember now. I thought it was, it's got a four in it. It was fairly. It was, it was fairly <laughs> limited. I've got the feeling it was only four hundred of these. So yeah, you're probably right. It would be a bit dodgy. The serial numbers will be logged, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I I think that Steve Ballmer in in some ways got a little bit of a a harsh deal. With regards how people view his stewardship, I don't know how anyone else feels about that. Well, well, all well, I would <laughs> say is that when the share price went up, 
on when he announced that he was going, didn't that net him an additional $800 million thanks to his stock options? <laughs> so however sorry I feel for the man, he does have an additional on top of what he already had. Yeah, he was worth $15.2 billion, was it? Was it $800 million. And do you know what? I'd, I'd take a bit of flack for $800 million. I'm just putting it out there. I'd take uh, it up the <laughs> for $800 million. Well... <laughs> You drop Steve, you do that for a couple <laughs> of lot like, let, let, $800. Yeah. <laughs> Every man has his price, and as it turned out, mine was quite low. <laughs> let me calibrate you. Call Steve for sex time. <laughs> let Steve dial you in. <laughs> Will you wear the special glasses? <laughs> I think Bulmer suffered them a lot for his uh, public persona, that notorious uh, oh, corporate event in 2000 when he was. There is an absolutely brilliant video out there on YouTube. He will probably go down as the man who missed every major technological wave post 2000, though. Yes. MP3s, you know, the iPhone, tablet market, virtually everything, you know, with kind of things that you can do now just through browsers. And as soon as Microsoft lost that idea of monopolies and the amount they could sell to, you know, I mean, they practically must live off what they can sell to businesses and the like. Yeah, they are. They are a business company. Kind of they don't yeah. sell to consumers. They sell to businesses. Yeah. They do sell to that's consumers. Cool. Yeah, I had to buy but, a yeah, copy of But that's not their main business is what I meant. They are basically, a, they sell, their main customer is, is the business community. It's not consumers. Yeah, but that's what it's they've been trying to shift to, though. Yeah, they're trying to be the consumer company. They're trying yeah, to. Yeah, and that's why they're so they, bad at it. <laughs> Steve Ballmer does bear an uncanny resemblance to the dinosaur from Theodore Rex, though. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Ballmer! Yeah. Yeah, right, he deserves it all. <laughs> So moving on from uh, Microsoft, um, at some point, I'll figure it out in the edit, um, PS4 launch date? Yeah, November 29th, um, not as much of a big fanfare for that, uh, 15th, November 15th in the US, but in Europe it'll be 29th, and it's pretty much at the tail end of what people expected, so uh, you know, if you've got to come in via a particularly unreliable online retailer or such like, look forward to Parcel Hell. The one thing that we didn't find out at Gamescom was the Xbox One release date, which seems just a little bit mad. I mean, there were kind of theories that perhaps they didn't want to, Microsoft didn't want to say anything at the time for fear that they might be kind of almost gazumped, so to speak, by by Sony's release date. This theory that at E3, Sony, you know, deliberately cut out the camera at the last minute so they could undercut Microsoft's price then. Um, but there's still, you know, no word on it. Um, you know, you'd, you'd have to say that most bets would put it at pretty much about the same time as the PS4, you know, end of November. But it is a little bit odd that we've had both Gamescom and E3, and yet there's nothing. It's going to be before Christmas, right? So they're running yeah. out of time to make an announcement, frankly. <laughs> I mean, it's well, only three I mean, months now until... Yeah, I mean, the, the kind of the... the, the conspiracy theory is or should we say the worry is is that as they've scaled back the amount of countries in europe that they're actually going to be releasing it in and there were you know lots of kind of different 
totally unsubstantiated rumours about having trouble making enough of them and problems with supply and the like of the pieces um, that perhaps they're just having a little bit of trouble nailing down a date when they can say that it will definitely be out and they will have a decent supply there. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's all really that relevant, is it? They'll sell as many as they can get into sales channels, I would have thought, both PS4 and Xbox One. They'll yeah, just but- sell as many as they can make. It's fu- it's funny, but you, you do think that it's it's that typical manufacturer ideal of having so many that it looks like they will be sold out, but not so many that it will be freely, you know, abundantly available to everyone. You don't want to have so few that people just say, oh, it might it might be another couple of weeks, it might be a month, oh, I'll just buy a PS4. But at the same time, you don't want to be that person going into the shop, see PS4 completely sold out. Mm. We've got lots of Xbox Ones, though. You know, I just they've I just got can't see of, that happening. I just can't see there being enough of either. For the, I think they're going to, both going to be sold out. I, I tend to go with the conspiracy theory that uh, if they're being you quiet will. on a launch date, they haven't got enough of them, frankly. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> don't know, don't care. This is me. I'll get around to buying one of them eventually, but uh, there's no, no danger of me being anywhere close to release date. <laughs> And uh, that is it for this week's AV Forums podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And all I need to do is thank our contributors tonight. They are Mark Botwright. It was more of a stain than a globule, actually. Mark Hodgkinson. Well, this piece is called Lick My Love Pump. Simon Crust. The numbers all go to 11. Ed Selly. He was the patron saint of quality footwear. And Bald Withers. It does disturb me, but I rise above it. I'm a professional. Do you quote... <laughs> uh, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at avforums and facebook.com forward slash avforums why not like us you can also bookmark avforums.com for the latest reviews news and videos plus why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you made it to the end and enjoyed the show I'm Phil Hinton thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next Wednesday <laughs>